Well, we are continuing in uh, the book of 1 Timothy, looking at instructions for the church. And we're going to be going through 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Uh, and these 10 verses, we're going to see three individual uh, instructions, and we're going to look at each instruction independently. So I'm going to go through the first instruction this morning, then we're going to sing, then I'll look at the second instruction, then we're going to pray, and then I will come back a third time for the third instruction. To get us started, let's take a look at the text that gives us uh, instruction number two for the church. Last week we looked at instruction number one, which is that we are to teach the truth. Instruction number two is that we are to pray for all people. Open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. This second instruction that we are to pray for all people, we see that in the first seven verses of chapter 2. Would you please stand? First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. This is the word of God. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. It is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. These are the words of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you give us very clear instructions, and we thank you that you have made it very plain that you desire all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, and that in accordance with that will, you desire for us to pray for all people. And we ask that your spirit would help us to be a praying people. Help us to think more of our neighbors and co-workers and family members, people in this city. Would your spirit draw us into prayer so that we may lead a quiet and dignified life, exercising our desire to follow you, but also that all people would hear the gospel and have an opportunity to be saved. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our ransom. Amen. Please be seated. This section begins, if you look, in the beginning of verse 1, first of all, then... So first of all, that doesn't mean this is the first instruction in the letter. It's that the instructions from this point forward are going to flow out from that first instruction, which is that we teach the truth. So we established that last week. We are to teach the truth. Now, in keeping with that instruction, first of all, 
this instruction. That's what this then is for. Then, if you see it in your Bible, points backward to that first instruction. More specifically, it talks about how it is that we are going to wage the good warfare. If you look up into verse 18, this charge, the charge that we teach the truth and refute bad doctrine, I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecy previously made about you. But by them you may wage the good warfare. First of all, then, keeping with the charge... In keeping with waging the good warfare, what are the weapons for the war? Well, we saw in verse 19, faith in a good conscience. But as we go about bringing that instruction into place, some more instructions. And the weapon that we see here, if we could call it a weapon, is prayer. We're not to fight this war with the force of arms and violence, but with prayer. To pray. To pray for all people. Take a look at that in verse 1. I urge. That's a a strong command. I'm urging you. I'm not recommending. I am urging you. This is essential, says Paul. That supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for who? All people. All people. Make supplications for all people. Pray for all people, intercede for all people. Perhaps most difficult is the last. Give thanks for all people. Now, why? Why is God commanding us to make supplication, to intercede, to pray, and to give thanks through prayer for all people? What is the point? The point is in. Uh, Verse 3, this is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. I got a little bit ahead of myself there. We'll deal with that, and then we'll double back. (laughs) But that is why. It is good for us to pray for all people, because God desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And so it's good that we pray for all people, knowing that God desires all people to be saved. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But let's just double back and just go back here and say, what does it mean, all people? All people. We are to make supplication, prayer, intercession, and give thanks for all people. Who are all people? Should we even pray for people who are opposed to us? And for the original audience that was receiving this letter, they would have asked, do we even pray for people like Nero? And Nero was the emperor who was persecuting them. And Paul says, yes. Look at verse 2. For kings, kings like Nero, and for all who are in a high position. Should we pray for our prime minister, though he doesn't profess to be a Christian? Should we pray for our premier, though she does not profess to be a Christian? Yes. Pray for all people, even for kings and prime ministers and premiers and mayors, all who are in high position. Should we pray for the rich as well as for the poor? who are, are 
gathering their money to spend on their own sinful desires rather than taking the money that God has given to them through whatever means to help others? Yes, for all people, all who are in high positions. Why should we pray for all people? Why should we pray for kings and prime ministers and premiers, for the rich, and all kinds of people who are potentially opposed to the gospel that we love? Take a look in the second part of verse 2. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. We'd already touched upon a point that I will get back to, that God desires all people to be saved. But before we get to that, look at the reason for our prayer. We pray for all kinds of people, the powerful and the rich, as well as for uh, the weak and the needy. Because it is our desire to lead a peaceful and quiet life. uh, That we could be godly and dignified in every way. And prime ministers and premiers and kings have the authority to make life difficult for us in the church. I I have noticed in my own life, and maybe you've noticed this in your life. Or if not in your own life, maybe you've noticed this in conversations that you have. That it is really easy to complain about the people who have authority over us. It's really easy to complain about the governments who seem opposed to us. It's really easy not to pray for them, but to complain, to protest, to argue, to slander, to bring their name into ill repute. The point is, though, we should be praying for them and praying that they would give us an opportunity to continue to gather freely as we do. How often do we give thanks? And I do hear it from time to time that the prime minister and the premier and the mayor that we have permit us to gather together in peace, that we may live out our Christian lives. And this brings up a potential objection, though. What if I pray for someone that God doesn't want me to pray for? How do I know that, that if I pray for Prime Minister Trudeau, that God would want me to pray for Prime Minister Trudeau? How do I know that, that God would want me to pray for, for the rich sinner that lives in my city or just down the road? This is a uh, hypothetical person. How do I know that, that God would want me to pray for his or her good? How do I know? And that's where we come in in verse 3. This is good. What is good? To pray for people, all people. It's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. It's pleasing when we make supplication, when we intercede, when we give thanks for all kinds of people. There's no one outside of God's desire for us to pray for. And then verse 4, in fact, God desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So we can pray for anyone. There's no one that we pray for where we wonder, maybe God is opposed to that person. And if not opposed to that person, opposed to our prayers for that person. What the scripture plainly says is God wants us to pray for all people. That God wants the good for all people. He wants all people to have 
a knowledge of the truth. He wants all people to be saved. Now, this creates a theological problem for us, which we're not going to get into too much, because the focus of this instruction is not to parse out this theological difficulty. What does God mean by all people? I'll, I'll address it, but just leave it to you to discuss more in your groups. But the problem is this. Does this mean that God desires any and every individual to be saved? Is it God's desire that every individual person who has ever lived be saved? Well, isn't that what it says? This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved. To come to a knowledge of the truth. Without getting into this too deeply, this really there are two good options for understanding this. Either God desires each and every individual to be saved. Not everyone will be saved because some reject the gospel. That's one option. A second option is that God desires all kinds of people to be saved. He desires even kings like Nero and all who are in high position, rich people and poor people, Jews and Gentiles to be saved. Now, which of the two is it? I'll leave that for you to discuss more fully in your groups. I've also posted uh, some exegetical work, some interpretive work on our blog that you might want to go and read that in advance of your group. But let me just suggest to you this morning that this does not mean that God desires every individual to be saved. We know this, and I'll just cite these, and you can go and look them up yourself. Because in the Romans chapter 9, we're told that God loves some and hates others, which really means God chooses some and doesn't choose others. It says, Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated. That's Romans 9.13. You go down in that chapter a little bit, and we're told that God has mercy on some, and he hardens others so that they will reject the gospel. And the great example of God's hardening someone's heart is Pharaoh. That's Romans 9.18. It gets even more difficult in Romans 9.21 through 23, where we're told that God has made some for glory, for honorable use, and some for destruction, for dishonorable use. So it would seem from Romans 9 that though God desires all kinds of people to be saved, he doesn't desire every individual person to be saved because he chooses some and not others. He hardens some while he shows mercy on others. He makes some for glory and he makes some for condemnation. The point, though, of this verse here is not that God desires every individual to be saved, but there is no category of person beyond the saving reach of the gospel, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, for example. Take a look in our text itself. It says whether you're a king, whether you're socially elite, or verse 7, whether you're a Gentile. God desires all kinds of people to be saved. In Galatians 3.28, we're told that Jesus came to save Jew and Gentile, slave and free, both men and women. In Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10, we're told that people from every tribe and language and people and nation 
will be saved. So I leave that for you to discuss more. Read the article on the blog. The point is this. We don't know who has God chosen and who has he not chosen. And we do know that God desires every kind of person to be saved. We also know that God has said, pray for all people not worrying about whether or not God has selected them for salvation or not. And we are reminded in verse 5 and 6 that Jesus died as a ransom for all. Jesus is the only Savior of humanity. And his sacrifice is sufficient for all, for all people who have ever lived. If you look, just flip over to chapter 4, verse 10. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people. The sacrifice of Christ is sufficient for all. And it's especially for those who believe. It's effectual for those who believe. In verse 5 and 6 then, take a look. We're told there's one God. There's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is a testimony given at the proper time. It's very easy to be sidetracked in this instruction by trying to figure out what does it mean that God desires all people to be saved. And we could argue about it, and we could disagree about it, but in the end... What God is calling us to do is the same, no matter what you believe. Whether you believe that God desires every individual to be saved, or you believe that God desires all kinds of people to be saved, in the end, the instruction is the same, that we pray for everyone, indiscriminately, irregardless of who they are, or what they've done, what their position is. And so I really want us to focus in on that. As a church, for us to fulfill this instruction, we don't have to fully understand what does it mean that God desires all people to be saved. What matters is that we are praying for all people. It means that we are to pray for our children and our loved ones. We are to be praying for our co-workers. We are to be praying for our political leaders. We are to be praying for those uh, who embrace same-sex attraction. We are to be praying for the gender confused. We are to be praying for drug addicts. We are to be praying for drunks. We are to be praying for thieves and criminals. We are to be praying for the richest person in our city. I don't know who that is. We are to be praying for the rich and the wealthy in our city. We are to be praying for the poor and the homeless. We are to be praying for the worst of criminals. We are to be praying for celebrities and talk show hosts. We are to be praying for those people who write books saying that there is no God. We are to be praying for those who get on TV and say that they hate Christianity. We are to be praying for people who are a part of ISIS. We are to be praying for Islamic terrorists. We are to be praying for Jews who have rejected Jesus as their Messiah. We are to be praying for everyone, anyone. And when you feel that hatred rising in your heart towards someone... 
we must recognize that that is opposed to the gospel, to hate anyone. We must recognize that it is against God's will for us in his church. And rather than talking down about someone, we are to fall to our knees in prayer for them. There's no one beyond the reach of God's salvation in Jesus Christ. And if we could just agree that that's what it means to pray for all people and that God desires all people to be saved, then we can finesse and nuance the theology later. Let's pray indiscriminately indiscriminately for all people because Christ wants his church to be a praying people for the salvation of all. The world is not our enemy. The world is our mission field. Ephesians 6 is so clear about this. We are not engaged in a war against flesh and blood. We're not at war against any person. We're at war against the powers and the principalities. That is Satan and his powerful delusion that has blinded people. And so we pray. And Paul ends this section by reminding us that he himself was called by God to do the unthinkable. He was called to take the gospel, not to Israel, but beyond Israel, to sinful pagan uh, Gentiles. And that seems normal to us, but that was unthinkable when God called Paul to do such a thing. And if God purposed to save pagan Gentiles, then the reach of his grace knows no limits. And let us not forget who it was that he sent to these Gentiles. A Pharisee of Pharisees who was killing Jews because they professed belief in Jesus Christ. For this reason, says Paul, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So let us commit to praying that God would use us to save hundreds and thousands of people from all walks of life in this city because God knows the city's in desperate need of his son, the Lord Jesus, and we know the Lord Jesus. Let us go and share the gospel in word, in deed, and before that, by prayer. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would help us to look past our own prejudices. Let us worry less about uh, the nuances of the theology of what it means that you desire all people to be saved. And just start praying for all people. I pray that even now you would bring to mind people in our lives that we could pray for, that they would come to see who you are, who they are, and what Jesus has done for them, cry out for mercy, and be saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.